how's it going with the uh, coronavirus? How's the lockdown going for you? Um, some of you may have lost your jobs. Some of your businesses might be struggling right now. Um, we just want to pray with you that God will walk with you through those challenges and those difficult times. The cool thing is God doesn't check out or abandon us. Um, he's faithful. He loves you very much. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you're thinking. So by all means, um, talk to the Lord about it. You've got people praying for you as well. So here we go. For all of you uh, Petra fans from years gone by, uh, John Schlitt, the lead singer for Petra, man, he's got quite a life story. In college, he linked up with a rock band called Head East as the lead singer. And after one radio hit, man, record labels were calling. They wanted to get these guys uh, traveling around the world. And um, so John did that. He became their lead singer. And uh, he carried this kind of good guy image. And he didn't quite fit into that rocker uh, mentality that Head East needed. And so the band manager talked to John and said, John, you need to party, man. You need to let loose. You need to become like everybody else in the band. Well, he did. He was introduced to cocaine, and just three three months later, he was hooked. He was addicted. John said, man, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. My whole day depended on how much coke I had in my body. Well, didn't take long after that. John, uh, he started, he couldn't function anymore in, in his world. Uh, it, was, it messed him up big time. And he said, uh, I drink beer to go down and cocaine to get up. It was a lousy way to live. I wasn't living. In fact, he said I was killing myself. And he was. John's addiction got so bad, the band asked him to leave. That's how bad it got for him. And John said, you know, the band was always number one. It was next to, my, next to my life, my family, everything. And all of a sudden, the band's not there anymore. It's like I'm a fish out of water, man, and I don't know what to do. So you know what he did? For the next six months, he was binge drinking and snorting cocaine. And as John's life began to spiral out of control, guess what happened? God was working. John's wife became a follower of Christ. Yeah, somebody talked to her about Jesus, how he loved her, how he died for her sins, paid her sin debt in full, came out of that grave on the third day, and was there to give her brand new life. Well, that's what she did. She said yes to Jesus. So, John's wife said it was by God's grace that we stayed together in our marriage because when all this took place, John was not a fun person to be around. He was miserable. Yeah, our church was praying for him. I was praying for him. There was a war going on for him, and I knew it. Well, John was in a tailspin, and the bills were piling up. John's addictions weren't backing down. And one night, he passed out on his couch in his living room. He said, I woke up in the morning, and my one-year-old son was looking at me real strange, like, why why are you here, Dad? Uh, Why are you on the couch? John said it was like 
a sweet little innocent thing, but I realized that the animal I had become had finally made it home. And he said, you know what? Shortly thereafter, there was this little voice in the back of my head that was speaking, you know what, John? You're worth more dead than alive. And I thought to myself, you know what? I sure am. That's a great idea. And so while his kids were playing on the carpet in the living room, John began to plot how he could take his own life. He said, I had decided in one quick instant that this was the best thing for my family. And I finally thought of something that I could do for my family. John thought he became non-essential. He figured his life was worthless. It wasn't worth living. And so here's the cool thing, though. That day that John was contemplating on taking his life, guess what? He had already made an appointment for a session with his wife's pastor. And he said, you know, I needed to go to prove to her that at least I tried to fix the mess that I was in. So John did. He went to meet with his wife's pastor, and the pastor challenged John on his view of God. The pastor said, you don't know the Jesus that loves you. You don't know the Jesus that has a plan for your life, John. You don't know the Jesus that knows exactly what you're thinking right now. And John said when he was in that time with the pastor, man, he said God's presence was so strong and tangible that he couldn't shake it off. And it was there and then that John placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he too became a follower of Christ. This is what John said. The minute I finished inviting Jesus in, it was like a ton of lead lifted right off my shoulders. I didn't realize I weighed that much. And you know what else? At that moment, he was delivered from cocaine. And soon, shortly thereafter, he lost his desire to drink alcohol. So John said, after that, I had a hold of my daughter's hand and I looked at her. And I think the first thing that God ever said to me was this. John, you know those treasures that you were looking for? All that money you wanted to make? All those riches? They are right here. In fact, I've been taking care of them for you. Now you need to start. Well, John put music aside during this time. He got himself a job. Life began to look pretty good for him. Five years later, he received a call to audition for the Christian band Petra. And he became their lead singer shortly thereafter. And John puts it this way. The only way I would ever sing is if it was in a Christian band like Petra. You're going out because you have a reason to do it. You want to see lives changed for Jesus. Well, John went on for 20 years traveling with that band, and some cool things happened. When it was all over, he said he he never gave up on me, talking about God. And God should have. I know that I'm going to see God, but not because of what I did or am doing or will do. I sin every day, but God's blood was shed for me. That's good enough to get me there because Jesus forgives. Isn't that great news, man? Isn't that cool? John was living a life, man, that was in a tailspin. And that little voice that said to him, John, life isn't worth living. You are not essential. 
on this planet, man. Your life is worthless. You're better dead than alive to your family. Maybe this morning you're feeling a little bit like, you know what? I'm not feeling so essential either. Um, Ever since the coronavirus started, um, I've got an article here. It says, here are the states that have shut down non-essential businesses. It goes on to say, while guidance varies from state to state, recreational spaces like museums, movie theaters, gyms, daycares, music venues, and malls, as well as personal care retailers like spas, nail and hair salons, tend to fall into the non-essential business category. We're talking about businesses. But friend, you may be watching this morning and you feel, you know what? My life feels non-essential, just like John's did, man. I, I don't have a purpose to live. I... I've tried everything. And even in this time of being shut in and social distancing, man, I'm just feeling empty. Nothing's going on on the inside. I want to encourage you this morning as we get into God's word. There's a great story. You know what? When I was studying for this talk this morning, I thought to myself, you know what? I can identify with this story that we're about to read. I'm in this story. And maybe when it's all said and done, before we close down this morning, you too will say, you know what? I can identify with this dude in the Bible. That's the cool thing, man. God's word, his holy word, the Bible, is relevant for 2020. Right here, right now, it's making a big difference in a lot of lives. And we want to encourage you to do the same. So, Let's go to the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book of the New Testament, chapter 5, starting at verse 1. So if you've got your notes, if you've got a Bible, open it up and let's read, starting at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches, waiting for a certain movement of the water. For an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. And the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease he had. Verse 5, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. It's a long time. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, He asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Now check this out in verse 9. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Let's talk to the Lord before we jump in any farther. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, once again, that it is relevant for the days that we're living in. Man, it makes a difference that we could read it and apply it to our lives. And how cool it is this morning to be able to open it up, listen to it. And here's the big thing. We obey it. We apply it. That's where life change happens. And so expose areas of our life, Lord, 
that need to be changed, transformed by your power. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you might have memorized this Bible verse that says God helps those who help themselves. Anybody have that on your refrigerator? <laughs> people, people quote it. They try to live by it. But guess what? It's not in the Bible. <laughs> it's not there. <laughs> maybe, maybe God forgot to put it there. <laughs> I don't think so, man. I don't think so. Um, although he didn't invent the saying, Franklin Benjamin Franklin popularized this motto in his Poor Richard's Almanac in 1757. God helps those who help themselves. In this story, uh, this wouldn't work. In fact, when it comes down to it, God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who can't help themselves. Isn't that good? It's good to know. It's a good reminder. God helps those who cannot help themselves, just like this man that we just read about. Man, he was needy. He needed God's help. And God came around and made a difference in his life. And so in John chapter 5, the story that we're going to dissect is about a man who was crippled for 38 years. And I would say... 38 years is a long time, isn't it? So Jesus comes along and sees this man, and he does something about it. So number one in your notes, Jesus knows the non-essential. Jesus knows the non-essential. Looking at verses 1 through 4, afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem. Remember a couple weeks ago, that's where he was tortured and nailed to a cross, and he was put into a tomb, and three days later he came out. Well, he was there for one of the Jewish holy days, and inside the city near the Sheep Gate, there's several gates that lead into the old city of Jerusalem. One of them is the Sheep Gate. It was, it was the pool near, near the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. It's almost like a picture of a hospital without any nurses or doctors around. That's kind of the the image here. Um, In fact, when you you look at this environment, you would say most of these people that hung around the pool at Bethesda were not essential people. They weren't looked at as valued or important in their world. They, they had been isolated. They had been shunned and, and, and separated from their families. And all these people were just hanging around, man. Why? Because legend, legend had it that when the water in this pool was stirred, man, it was actually an angel, which it wasn't. And the first person, imagine that, the first person with hundreds of people around this pool, can you imagine? These people would stay up late at night planning to strategize how they could be in that pool first, you know? Uh, maybe they would tie people to the, to the concrete floor, you know, chain them down so they couldn't move because it was all about them. Sad, man, it, it was sad. And here's the deal. In your Bibles, you'll notice verse 4, there's, there's a footnote. 
And um, it means that it's not considered to be accurate uh, according to the Bible standards, but it was, it was put there on purpose because a copyist who was writing down the Bible drew a marginal note. It's like a PS. And he explains, he puts a little, it's like a back picture on this environment that we're reading about. Because it became legend over time. That's what people thought, man. They, they hoped by coming to the pool of Bethesda, with hundreds of, of people, non-essential people, that um, there, was a, there was a spring actually at the bottom of the pool. And sometimes that spring, it would put up a bunch of bubbles while people were watching nonstop. And they figured, man, it was an angel walking in there. Boom, touching the water. But they had to be the first one. That's what legend said. Again, you had to be the first one in. What, what about the second and third and fourth people, man? It's, well, that's too bad, too bad. So it was kind of a myth. And people put all their hope on this myth. It wasn't reality. But because they tried everything else and came up empty, like John Schlitt, man, he tried, he tried everything to make a difference in his life. But he felt like a non-essential. These people tried everything and they said, man, I'm going to the pool of Bethesda because they say an angel shows up every once in a while. And I'm going to be the first one in. Oh, boy. That's a, that's a sad story, isn't it? Um, I don't know who you're looking for help for in your life right now. You know? I know there's a lot of anxiety going on. People are wondering about the future. Who are you going to for help? Can I tell you a little secret? You can go to Jesus, man. He's, he's, he's in this story. He's with you right now. He's waiting for you to call on his name. Yeah, that's what he's doing. And so this paralyzed man who had been sick for 38 years, this crowd that he's hanging with, they're all, they're all focused in on this pool waiting for an angel to come to stir the water. And guess what? Jesus is there, and they don't even notice him. Isn't that sad? Jesus shows up, and they're looking at a pool, a myth, to get healed, instead of Jesus, the healer, standing right there. Man! Come on! Come on! Jesus is here, man. He's where you are. And he wants to make a difference in your life. Number two, am I the one? Oh, this is so good. Am I the one? Look at verse 5. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. We're, we're zeroing in, man, from the hundreds down to this one man. 38 years ago, he was told, you're never going to walk again. Imagine how that would make him feel, huh? Bible doesn't give us any background, uh, you know, how it happened, if it was a birth defect, a genetic condition, a, an accident. This man had not stood on his two feet for 38 years. Man. So why did Jesus single him out? That's a good question, isn't it? Why did Jesus single him out? Let's let's ask another question. Why did Jesus single out John Schlitt? Huh? Why? Why did Jesus, and I ask this myself, why did Jesus, why, why, why did he single Bob Lee 
out. You know why? Because he loved me. He loves you. He loves this man who's been sick for 38 years. Man, he loves you. I love this. Job 34, verse 21. For God watches how people live. He sees everything they do. Listen, friend, you've heard me say this before. By reading the Bible, you get, a, you get an accurate picture of who God is. When you read this, for God watches how people live. He sees everything they do. You know what the imagery here is? It's, it's like a loving parent who loves to watch their child. They can't take their eyes off. Why? Because they love that child so much. That is the picture what's going on right here. Just like Jesus went after this one man, he's coming after you. He came after me. Man, the God of this universe who creates all life who knitted you together, knitted me together. Man, he's coming after you because he wants to have a relationship with you. So this paralyzed man and this crowd of non-essential people all gathered around this pool, we're all focused on the pool instead of focusing on Jesus. Who are you focused on right now in your life? Hmm? Who, who's got your attention most of the time? Through this shutdown, through this social distancing, do you realize this is a great opportunity, man? God is calling your name. He's coming after you. Do you hear him? Do you sense his presence? Hmm. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. Number three, the question. Here's a question. Number six, when Jesus saw him and he knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Isn't that a great question? I, I want to just kind of zoom in on this verse. When Jesus, what, saw him, Jesus sees, he sees you. And it says he knew, he knew him. Jesus saw him, Jesus knew him. Jesus sees you and he knows you. What a God, what a God. And then there's this, this question, you know, this question. This man, would you like to get well? Notice this question is not saying, do you need to get well? How do, how do you think this man would answer? You would say, man, he'd jump on that. What a question. Do you want to get well? That's an interesting question, though. You know why? Because there are people, and it might be you. You've lived your life a certain way for so long, and you're comfortable with it. And you don't want to change. Jesus is offering you a brand new life, a new opportunity to live for him, like so many others. But you know what? He gives you the freedom to choose to receive him or reject him. And right here, right here, we see the question Jesus is asking this man, and and 2,000 years later, he's asking you and me, would you like to get well? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a good question. Who wouldn't want to get well? But you want to know something? Some people are afraid to change. I don't know if you've ever been to Italy, uh, specifically Pisa, Italy. Uh, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, man. <laughs> when, you look, when you look at that picture, you'd say, what's wrong with that thing, man? 
Huh? What's wrong with that thing? You have to kind of tilt your head to make it look level. And you're going to get a stiff neck, man, because that thing is tipped. It's tipped. And the ground that they put that thing on, the foundation is very soft ground, the faulty foundation. And for centuries, they tried to fix it, but they could not. And eventually, they found a way to fix it, but they decided they chose not to fix it. Why? Why was that? Because it's a tourist attraction. They don't want to fix it. They want to keep it leaning so people keep coming to see it. They don't want to straighten it out because they enjoy the attention it gets. How about you? Maybe your life is leaning off center. And Jesus wants to straighten it out. Hmm. Ah, Maybe you like the attention that you get from a leaning life. Man, I want to encourage you. Don't do it. Don't do it. So, do you want to get well? That's a good question. Do you want your guilt removed? How about that habit to be broken in your life for once and for all? That'd be great. How about that bitterness you've been carrying? Have that uprooted. That'd be awesome. How about a, that broken relationship that, that's been haunting you? How would you like that restored? How about the strength to pick up your responsibility and start walking by faith? Huh? Those are all good questions. Do you want to get well? It's up to you. Do you want to get well? It's relevant to this man by the pool. It's relevant for you and me today. And so... Until somebody wants to get well, there's not much that can be done in their life. Have you noticed that? A person has, has got to want to change. They've got to want to get well. In the book, Change or Die by Alan Deutschman, in the opening sentence is a, a play off the title. And Deutschman says, what if you were given the choice for real, change or die? According to Deutschman, the odds are nine to one against you. Now, that's not too encouraging, is it? It's based on a study done by one and a half million Americans who underwent coronary bypass angioplasty surgery. It's a temporary fix if you don't change your lifestyle. Because if you don't change your lifestyle, the same thing's going to happen again to you. So the patients were. After surgery, we're told to do five things. Smoke less, drink less, eat less, exercise more, and relieve more stress. Five things. Change those five behaviors if you want to ultimately get well again. But here's what the results showed in this study. People who had had this surgery, two years later, they were checked up. 90%, 9 out of 10 of them did not change their lifestyle. In other words, 90% would rather die than change. Isn't it sad? And it doesn't have to be that way. And so the question is, do you want to get well? Come on. Do you want to get well? I hope so. I hope so. Number four, the answer. Here's the answer. Verse seven. I can't, sir. Have you ever said that? (laughs) Hey, hey. Do you want to get well? I can't. And you kind of go off on a litany of why you can't with all of your excuses. The sick man said, for I have no one. Here he goes. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. 
Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Do you detect a little whining going on there? Jesus asked him a question. It's a yes or no answer. Does the man give a yes or no answer? No, no. He kind of goes off, doesn't he? Yeah. Do you want to get well? And then the man goes, "Eh, woe is me. Woe is me. Boils down to the I can't excuses. Man. And that's where, when I was looking at this story, I mean, I remember back in my 20s, my early 20s, I thought God was supposed to do things the way I wanted him to, and he didn't, and I felt sorry for myself. I was like this non-essential dude by the pool of Bethesda, feeling sorry for myself and blaming God. It's all God's fault. I like this answer. I was right there, man. I gave a bunch of excuses. God can't use me. I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, I, don't, I, I mess up too much. I sin too much, you know. Just kind of gave those, ran them off at God. So what's your excuse for continuing to lie down on your responsibilities? What's your excuse for repeated failure and sin in your life? What's your excuse for remaining a spiritual child instead of growing into a mature man or woman of God? Huh? What's your excuse? We need to stop focusing on giving excuses and start listening to Jesus, what he has to say. That's the key. That's the key right there. John 15, 5, Jesus says, Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Isn't that encouraging? Jesus is saying, man, you can't do anything without me. I agree with that. Man, that's so true. And so the man by the pool could have done certain things, and in the end, Jesus was the only hope he had. That, that pool had nothing going for him. It wasn't his answer. It wasn't the solution Jesus was. So guess what? Here's number five. The excuse is overthrown. Verse 8, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your men, and walk. In other words, dear, weak, powerless, paralyzed man, it's your choice. Come on. If you put your faith in me, obey my word, you will have all the power you need to be different from now on. Isn't that great? So the man had a choice, just like you have a choice. I have a choice. First of all, he could have listened and ignored what Jesus had to say. Or second, he could have listened and just hoped. Well, I hope I hope what you're saying is true, Jesus. Or third, he could have listened and obeyed. Boom, number three. Number three is the winning answer in his life. You know what? We all have a choice, don't we? We all have a choice to choose. The difference between where you are and where God wants you to be may be the painful decision you refuse to make. There's a lot of people right now that are they're just paralyzed from making decisions in, about their lives, about their future, about eternity. Yeah. So we need to remind ourselves that Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. What's cool is there's three action verbs in this little verse. Three action verbs. Stand up, pick up, and walk. Boom! Man, 
Man. And that man experienced new life because he obeyed. Check this out. Number six, roll up your excuses. Verse nine, roll up your excuses. Instantly, instantly. What does instantly mean? Instantly means instantly. (laughs) You learned something new this morning, man. Instantly means right now. Not five minutes, not a half an hour, not tomorrow, man. Instantly, instantly the man was healed. Man, when Jesus speaks, what happens? Diseased muscles and bones obey. Man, they came. Yeah, the bones and muscles, whatever you say, Jesus, boom. They snapped together. They obeyed at once. <laughs> oh, that is so encouraging. That, and you know what? When I stopped making excuses by the pool of Bethesda in my life, and I said, Jesus, we got to start this all over again. Forgive me. Forgive me for making all kinds of excuses and feeling sorry for myself. And you know what? He breathed new life in me. And he began to order my steps, man. I have never regretted that. And I'm sure this man never regretted Jesus showing up by the pool of Bethesda. You know? So maybe, maybe that voice, like that voice that John Schlitt had talking that, man, he was non-essential. Maybe that's been haunting you as well. All you need to do is ask Jesus for help. Why? Because he's standing right there with you. Help me, Lord. I can't do this on my own. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Our only hope is in Jesus. It says you were dead because of your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Not some of our sins, but all. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Who's doing the work here in this text? You or God? Hmm? It's God. Who is the active one in, this, in these verses? You or God? It's, it's God. Who's doing the saving? You or God? It's God. Yeah. It says you were dead because of your sins. What can a dead person do? Nothing. Nothing. Not much. And look what God can do to someone who's dead. Verse 13 in Colossians. Then God made you alive with Christ. (laughs) For he forgave all your sins. Not some, all your sins. Again, who's the active one in this? It's you or God. It's God. Who was trapped? Man, I was trapped. I was dead. Who comes to the rescue? God. Man, it's God. And going back to verse 8 and 9, in John, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. When Jesus tells you to stand, stand. When Jesus says you're forgiven, believe him. When he says you're valuable, I believe it, Jesus. When he says stand up, let's do it, friend. Let's do it. Back in the early 1800s, Napoleon's horse ran off without him on it. A private in the army ran after it and brought it back to the emperor. Napoleon thanked him by saying, thank you, captain. Oh, wait a minute. He was a private. Now he's a captain. 
with one word, the private was promoted. And when Napoleon said it, the private believed it. He went to the quartermaster right away, selected a new uniform and put it on. He went to the officer's quarters and selected a bunk. He went to the officer's mess and had a meal. Why? Because the emperor said it. The man believed it. Man, we should do the same, right? When Jesus comes to you, we need to choose to say yes to him. You know why? Because there's nothing you can do that will ever make God love you more than he loves you right now. There's nothing that you could ever do to make God love you any less than he loves you right now. You can't make him love you less because his love is based on who he is. He is a loving God. Yeah. There's no amount of good things that we can do to get to God. Our only hope is if God comes to us. And you want to know some good news? He already did. We can have a relationship with God because of what Jesus did. In 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Isn't that great news? Christ died for our sins to bring us to God. We did the sinning. Jesus did the dying on the cross. Because he loves us, Jesus paid our death penalty and everything wrong we ever did. And he rose from the dead on the third day. Guess what? You, me, we are not non-essential in the eyes of God. We have worth and value because Jesus died for you. And he wants you to be with him forever in heaven. And so I want to encourage you this morning to choose Jesus Christ. Have you accepted God's forgiveness? Father, Heavenly Father, I need your forgiveness, man. I need your help. I can't forgive myself. I need your forgiveness of my sins. And if you would like to put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, will you just follow along with this prayer inviting Jesus to become your spiritual leader? Will you do it? God loves you. He doesn't want you to be non-essential. He wants to put worth and value on you this morning. Dear Lord Jesus, I, 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 I'm honestly saying that I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I believe you died for my sins on the cross and you rose on that third day. So by faith, I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior, my Rescuer, and I place my trust in you. And Lord, you promised to save me, and I believe you. Why? Because you're God and you cannot lie. So I believe right now, Jesus, you have become my personal Savior. And all my sins are forgiven through your precious blood that you shed on the cross. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit's power and help. I will live for you the rest of my life. So Lord, thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you and he saved you. And I personally want to welcome you into God's family. And I celebrate with you, man, the greatest decision and choice you will ever make. So contact LifeChurchMH.com, our website, and there's, a, there's an opportunity for you to, to link up 
send us your information. We'd love to send you material explaining what it means to be a follower of Christ and how you can grow in your faith on a daily basis. God bless you. Thank you for watching. Have a great day.